Welcome to Behind the Knife's Absite Review Series, revamped for the 2024 exam. Want to read along? Do it with our updated Absite Review book. All of this and more can be found on our website, behindthenife.org, and on our brand new, totally awesome Android and iOS apps. We appreciate your support, and if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. Now, dominate the day and dominate the Absite. Behind the Knife would like to sincerely thank Medtronic for sponsoring the entire 2024 Abside podcast series. Medtronic has a rich history of supporting surgical education, and we couldn't be happier that they chose to partner with Behind the Knife. Their sponsorship goes a long way in supporting us as we develop exciting new content. As surgeons, we know and love Medtronic for their trusted brands like Tri-Staple Technology, V-Lock Barb Suture, ProGrip Mesh, and Ligature Vessel Sealing. With newer products such as the MaxTac Motorized Fixation Device, the newest Ligature XP Maryland, and the Sonicision Curved Jaw Cordless Ultrasonic Device, Medtronic's impact extends well beyond the operating room. Medtronic's mission is engineering the extraordinary. With 90,000 plus people in over 150 countries, Medtronic is committed to accelerating access to healthcare technology, advancing inclusion, diversity, and equity, and protecting our planet. Learn more at Medtronic.com. All right, we are back for our AbSite review. This is Patrick here with John. Hello. And we're going to be covering a mundane topic here, fluids and electrolytes, okay? We know this isn't fun, but if you want to get a few questions right in your AbSite, you want to listen in. It's going to be lots of numbers, lots of quick answers. Uh, we apologize in advance, but we're going to give you the information that you need. So, John, what is the percentage of total body water by weight in an adult? So in males, it's body weight in kilograms times 0.6 equals your total body water. In females, it's body weights in kilograms times 0.5. That equals your total body water okay. in liters. So total body water can be intracellular, extracellular, or intravascular. What is the breakdown? So two-thirds of your total body water is intracellular. Of the one-third of your total body water that is extracellular, one-quarter of that is intravascular, three-quarters of that is extravascular. So with that, what is the average blood volume of an average size adult? So about five liters. Okay. Now pediatric patients though, how would you calculate average blood volume? So about 80 cc's a kilogram. Okay. What are some of the commonly used maintenance fluids for patients? Let's give, how about adult, when we say maintenance fluid, what comes to mind? Yeah, the traditional maintenance fluid is D5, half normal saline with 20 milliequivalents equivalents of potassium. Okay. How about in a pediatric population? So D5 normal saline with 20 milliequivalents of potassium. Okay, and how about neonates? It's D5 quarter normal saline with 20 milliequivalents of potassium. Okay, so for adults, we have half normal saline, pediatric normal saline, and neonates one quarter normal saline. What about the most commonly used resuscitative fluids? Yeah, this is pretty you know generic, but isotonic crystalloids and colloids. Yeah, isotonic crystalloids are? Your LR and normal saline. Okay, and what are the component uh, electrolyte concentrations within normal saline? So normal saline, you have 154 milliequivalents of sodium and 154 milliequivalents of, of chloride. Yeah, so that's not normal. So it's high, right? Yeah. yeah. Versus LR? So you have 130 milliequivalents of sodium, 4 milliequivalents of potassium, 2.7 milliequivalents of calcium, 109 milliequivalents of chloride, and 28 milliequivalents of bicarbonate. All right, so more physiologic, that's the favorite resuscitative fluid. Uh, in most, but not all circumstances. So how do, would you calculate an appropriate maintenance fluid? Rate? Yeah, I, I use the 421 rule to calculate hourly fluid rate. 
So it's four cc's a kilogram for the first 10 kilograms, two cc's a kilogram for the second 10 kilograms, and one cc for every kilogram over 20 kilograms. Sure. And you know, there's a simplified formula too. You could add the patient's weight in kilograms plus 40, and that's their hourly uh, rate of fluids. All right. High yield alert. You're almost guaranteed to have a question on FINA. So John, what is the FINA, the formula for FINA? How's yeah. Calculator? So it's the result of your urine sodium divided by your serum sodium, which is then divided by the result of your urine creatinine divided by your serum creatinine times 100. Right. And how do you interpret that? So it can help determine the etiology of your acute kidney injury. So pre-renal, if the result of that is less than one, then you have a pre-renal cause of your AKI. If it's greater than two, then it's a renal cause. And if it's as high as over four, it's post-renal. Right. So you have urine sodium divided by serum sodium over urine creatinine divided by serum creatinine. So sodium's on top, creatinine's on bottom. You could have US over US. Uh, so for urine and sodium, or excuse me, urine and serum. So if a patient has used uh, diuretics, we can't use the FINA formula. We have to use the FE urea formula. What is that? That is the result of your serum creatinine divided by your urine creatinine, which is then, then divided by the result of your urine urea divided by your serum urea times 100. Okay. So that is serum creatinine divided by urine creatinine over urine urea divided by serum urea. All right, John, let's talk hyponatremia. What are some simple steps to evaluating this kind of confusing problem? Yeah, so we want to start with uh, calculating our serum osmolality. I'm not going to go into the calculations for this, but just know that's what you have to do. And then we want to measure your urine osmolality. So using those two things and, and hyponatremic patients, you can kind of narrow your differential. So when your serum osmolality is low and your urine osmolality is high. So overly concentrated urine, right? Right, yes. Then you have to be considering SID, SIDH, uh, renal losses, diarrhea, vomiting, overdiuresis, adrenal insufficiency, CHF, and cirrhosis. When you have a serum osmolality that's low and your urine osmolality is low, then it most likely causes excess free water. Okay. And so when it comes to hyponatremia, we want to decrease free water intake, so restrict the water. If we suspect it's secondary to SIADH, we're going to fluid restrict, add sodium supplementation, and if needed, consider Vaptans or vasopressin receptor antagonist. Another formula, John, how do you calculate a sodium deficit? So that's your desired sodium, which is usually 140, minus actual sodium times total body water, and that equals your sodium deficit in milliequivalents. Okay. What are some of the common etiologies of hypernatremia in surgical patients? Yeah, so hypovolemia, hypovolemic hypernatremia, you can consider water loss, insensible or insensible GI losses. Euvolemic hypernatremia, you must consider nephrogenic or neurogenic diabetes insipidus. And you can suspect this if there's a head injury. And hypervolemic hypernatremia, you consider hypertonic fluid resuscitation or mineral corticoid excess. Okay. So you mentioned for a euvolemic patient, you can have a nephrogenic DI or neurogenic DI. So if you have a patient on the exam who has a head injury, they have excess urine output and hypernatremia. How do we confirm that diagnosis of DI? You want to compare your serum osmolality to your urine osmolality. So if your serum osmolality is high and your urine osmolality is low, you would suspect DI. 
Right. And this is all about, again, this is the failure to concentrate urine. And so uh, that's really important. If you're getting confused on the exam, think about is the urine concentrated or is it not? And that can help you uh, start uh, your differential. Okay. We have a patient with hypernatremia and nephrogenic DI. How are they treated? So nephrogenic DI is treated with free water supplementation and a thiazide diuretic. Okay. We have a hypernatremic patient with neurogenic DI. How do we treat them? We can treat them with low-dose vasopressin uh, or use DDAVP. Okay. All right. So let's talk about free water deficit because this is actually something really common. Uh, we see hypernatremia in the ICU often, and we have to calculate how much uh, to resuscitate that patient. How do you calculate that? So that's your total body water times your actual sodium minus your desired sodium, so about 140, divided by your desired sodium. And that equals your free water deficit in liters. Right. You remember that total body water equals the weight in kilograms times percent total body water, which is 0.6 in males and 0.5 in females. All right. Let's move on to potassium abnormalities. So what are the EKG findings that are present in hyperkalemia? Yeah, this is the classic peak T waves. Yeah, how is this managed? We want to stabilize the myocardium, and we can do that with calcium. We want to push the potassium intercellularly with insulin, D5, and albuterol. We want to increase the urinary excretion used by use of Lasix. Uh, we want to in bind the potassium within the intestine using K-exalate. And if we need a rapid reduction or if renal failure is present, then we consider hemodialysis. Right. We should note that that uh, intestinal cation exchange would capsulate a sl much slower process. Right. All right. What EKG abnormality is commonly seen in patients with hypocalcemia? So here you would have a prolonged QT interval. Okay. And what uh, symptoms might you see in a patient with hypocalcemia? So from a neuromuscular standpoint, you see weakness, paresthesias, anxiety, muscle cramping, and seizures. Yeah. And there's this thing called Chofstek sign, right? Which is yep. when you tap on the facial nerve and this evokes perioral twitching or Trousseau sign, which is when you have a carpal pedal spasm with blood pressure cuff inflation on the arm. And what cardiovascular issues might arise with hypocalcemia? Yeah, we could see hypotension, torsades de points, and heart block. Okay. How are you going to manage hypocalcemia? So IV calcium and vitamin D and magnesium supplementation. All right. What are some of the most common causes of hypercalcemia? So how about adult in the outpatient setting? Yep. So hyperparathyroidism. How about an adult that's hospitalized? And malignancy. Okay. What are the common symptoms that are associated with hypercalcemia? Yeah, we talked about this. This is hypercalcemia. And we talked about this previously in another chapter, but it's stones, bones, groans, thrones, and psychiatric overtones. Yeah. And these patients may have... Uh, kidney stones, they can have bone pain, uh, abdominal issues or GI distress, and polyuria as well as psychosis. So how is acute symptomatic hypercalcemia managed? So volume resuscitation, but you want to use normal saline. Theoretically, you want to avoid LR as it contains calcium, but relatively small amounts. You want to start loop diuretics, bisphosphonates. Uh, you can do calcitonin, glucocorticoids, or dialysis if you have renal failure. All right. Let's talk magnesium. So what EKG findings are common in hypomagnesemia? So the most common is prolonged QT interval, but this can progress to Tosad de point. Okay. And what medications are associated with the development of hypomagnesemia? So diuretics are the number one. There's antibiotics. Yeah, like aminoglycosides, amphotericin B. Yep. And then platinum-based chemotherapy and PPIs are also associated with hypomagnesium. Great. 
All right, we're moving on to acid-base abnormalities. Patrick, what are the components of a standard ABG and their normal values? Yeah, so pH should be between 7.35 and 7.45. PaCO2 should be between 35 and 45. PaO2 greater than 80. And bicarb of 22 to 26. So Patrick, using an ABG, how can you quickly differentiate between the four main acid-base abnormalities in the most simple way possible? Sure. So you can certainly have mixed picture by keeping it very simple. A low pH, the patient is acidotic. You're going to either have a respiratory or a metabolic acidosis. If the PaCO2 is high, that's a respiratory acidosis. If the bicarb is low, that's a metabolic acidosis. If the patient's pH is high, uh, they are alkalotic. If the PaCO2 is low, they have a respiratory alkalosis. If the bicarb is high, they have a metabolic alkalosis. How is the anion gap calculated and what constitutes an elevated anion gap? Sure. So an anion gap is the sodium plus the potassium minus chloride plus bicarb. Again, that's sodium plus potassium minus chloride plus bicarb. Normal is less than 12. An elevated anion gap would be greater than 12. All right, what are the common ideologies of an elevated anion gap or anion gap metabolic acidosis? And is there, is there a mnemonic we can use? Yeah, mud piles. This is a good one, right? Mud piles. Methanol, uremia, DKA, propylene glycol, isoniazide, lactic acidosis, ethanol, and salicylates. Sil, uh, yeah, good. And then what are the common ideologies of a non-anion gap metabolic acidosis? As this would be intestinal losses from diarrhea or fistulas, renal tubular acidosis, or genic things like giving acetazolamide or too much normal saline resuscitation. All right. To finish this out, what are the most common etiologies of metabolic alkalosis? Yeah, so this would be gastric losses from excessive vomiting or NG tube suctioning. You could also get a contraction alkalosis from over diuresis. All right, so I know it's a lot. Uh, you should definitely reference the chart in the text. Uh, it's common electrolyte abnormalities in treatment. It really kind of dyes everything down in a nice, like, organized manner. All right, Patrick, you want to do some quick hits? I do. All right, let's go through these. What cation primarily determines serum osmolality? Sodium. What is the primary intracellular cellular cation? Potassium. What is the standard volume of a pediatric fluid bolus? Yeah, for fluid or crystalloid, we're going to give 20 cc's per kg. For blood products, 10 cc's per kg. All right, and this was asked before. What are the three most common electrolyte abnormalities seen in refeeding syndrome? Yeah, this is a highly testable a little nugget of information. So hypophosphatemia is most common. You may also see hypokalemia and hypomagnesemia. All right, what causes hypophosphatemia and refeeding syndrome, and how does this present in critically ill patients? Yeah, another good, another good one. So the... Uh, phosphate will shift from extracellular to intracellular, and this can present with failure to wean from the ventilator. Okay. You have a patient with a potassium is 6.7, peak T waves on EKG. What is the next best step? Uh, the next best step, right? We're going to do multiple things, but first and foremost, I'm giving some calcium to stabilize the myocardium. All right. A patient is on the liver transplant list and was started on a water pill by his PCP. His potassium is 2.5. What drug is most likely the culprit? Yeah, that'd be a loop diuretic like Lasix. All right, patient's on the liver transplant list and it was started on a quote-unquote water pill by his PCP. His potassium is 5.5. What drug is most likely the culprit? Yeah, in this case, spironolactone. All right, Patrick, a baby with pyloric stenosis will present with 
What electrolyte acid base abnormality? This is a good one too. Hypochloremic, hypokalemic, metabolic alkalosis. All right, what is the mechanism of the metabolic alkalosis? Yeah, this is paradoxical aciduria. And so the kidney in this case is putting a priority on maintaining volume. And it does that by absorbing sodium ions in exchange for hydrogen ions. Therefore, despite the fact that the patient has a metabolic alkalosis, the urine is actually acidic. All right, next one. What is the impact of acidosis on the oxygen hemoglobin dissociation curve? This is a right shift, and there's more unloading of oxygen. All right. You have a patient with marked metabolic alkalosis and now has decreased respiratory drive. What, could, what drug could you get? Yeah, acetazolamide. Good. What is the electrolyte acid-base abnormality seen with diarrhea? Hypokalemic metabolic acidosis. All right. What is the acid-base abnormality seen in high altitude? Respiratory alkalosis. Right. A post-operative patient has pinpoint pupils and is unresponsive. What would the ABG likely show? Yeah. Respiratory acidosis is likely due to opiates resulting in decreased respiratory drive. What is the acid-base abnormality seen in a patient with high output ileoconduit? This is a non-anion gap metabolic acidosis. All right. Last one. What EKG findings are most commonly seen in hypermagnesemia? Yeah, well, this is a good one. Peak T waves, PR prolongation, and QRS widening. All right, we got through it. We got through it. On to the next. Thanks for listening, and thank you to Medtronic for supporting surgical residents preparing for the 2024 website. Since 1949, Medtronic has relentlessly pursued therapies that change lives. Today, we thank Medtronic for supporting surgical residents as they relentlessly pursue their dreams. From all of us at Behind the Knife and Medtronic, dominate the ab site.